Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is high strangeness and the mind of God. My guest is Ray Hernandez, an attorney and director of the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. He is editor of three wonderful volumes, Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence, and in two volumes so far, A Greater Reality, The New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, The Paranormal, and The Contact Modalities. In addition, he is the author of The Mind of God, a spiritual, virtual reality, a model of consciousness and the contact modalities. Ray is in the Miami, Florida area, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Ray. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's an honor to be with you. Well, you've done amazing work, Ray. I'm looking at the books that you have edited. It's like over 2,000 pages now. In the first three big, thick volumes that you've put together, you've assembled a group of people, all who have experienced things that most people would say are unbelievable, that are just too bizarre, too strange, so far apart from normal, everyday reality that, that people tend to just shove it all under the rug. But, but you're making a real effort to show that all of these different experiences have a common source. And I think it'd be fair to say that for you, that source is the mind of God. That's correct, Jeffrey. And that's a topic um, that you have discussed on your show um, for over 40 years. It's, it's true. In, in fact, to be accurate, over 50 years, Ray. <laughs> you were one of my early mentors when I began to have these experiences, and I began to try to understand uh, the complexities of this phenomenon. Uh, you, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Dr. Rudy Shield, and numerous other academics uh, guided me in the proper direction towards the mind of God hypothesis. Well, you're very fortunate in the sense that you ran into and, and sought out people like that who could serve as mentors for you. I'm under the impression that many other people who have these bizarre experiences often are uh, repudiated, scorned and, and sometimes even sent to psychiatric institutions. Oh, most definitely. I've been there, done that. <laughs> uh, there was a point that um, I thought I was going crazy myself, um, and I uh, didn't want to talk to anyone uh, about these experiences. And um, my wife uh, forced me to go to a, a psychiatrist, and he gave me various uh, tests, and he uh, 
<laughs> concluded that I uh, had all these uh, uh, abnormalities and these disorders. Uh, but yet in my job as a, a tax attorney with the U.S. Department of Treasury, I'd always have the highest ratings <laughs> uh, that my supervisors would give me. And I was very functional uh, outside of my job as well. But I was having these experiences. And then um, later on, I found out that uh, there are literally thousands of people of medical doctors, uh, uh, academic professors, uh, people from all walks of life that are having these experiences, and most of them kept quiet all their lives because of the taboo uh, aspects of, of the subject. And um, so, yes, uh, that's that, uh, what you're saying is very true. Now, for the benefit of our viewers, I am going to link for viewers who can uh, receive the link. They don't often work with cell phones, but they do work if you have a, a, a computer. And I, I'm going to link to our first interview where you went into great detail about the experiences that you had. So there'll be a hot link in the upper right-hand corner of, of the screen for our viewers. I highly recommend that people watch that because I don't think we're going to repeat all of your personal experiences are extraordinary. But I will say this, Ray, when I first met you, you introduced me to your good friend, Alberto, and and his experiences, and he was there to attest to them when, when I met you. They're even more remarkable than the ones that you've had. That's correct, that he eventually became my best friend in Miami. His wife is a PhD uh, psychologist. Their daughter's a PhD psychologist. And they have um, confirmed that they were witnesses to many of these experiences. Um, so um, I knew that the entire family cannot be crazy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And also, uh, Alberto's a retired DEA federal agent. He, he just published a book about his DEA experiences. And he was uh, the person that found out for the first time that the dictator of Panama, uh, Manuel Noriega, was uh, bringing in tons of cocaine to the U.S., and he was, uh, um, he led that group of, of getting information to show what he was doing. And also the dictator of Haiti, uh, uh, baby Doc Duvalier, uh, as well. Um, and, and so he pu published a book, uh, about 300 pages where he detailed all these experiences. So this is a very serious, incredible person, but you wouldn't have no idea that he was having all these experiences all his life. For example, one in in one instance he was drowning and it seemed as if he was miraculously saved by a a wave that came and washed him ashore <laughs> it was more profound than that jeffrey uh, uh, as a matter of fact i've um spoken with at least five individuals that had very very similar experiences um he was uh caught in a riptide he was brought out um, uh, into the ocean and he, he began to sink because he just, he didn't have any more strength. And so he was all the way at the bottom. Um, and then all of a sudden he said, like a hand picked him up, brought him above in the air. And once he got into the air, then he became unconsciousness and he was thrown all the way <laughs> ashore on the other side of a six lane road that parallels the harbor of Havana, Cuba. And he was uh, dripping wet and he just felt himself like, boom, you know, thudding on the floor. And, um, 
and and afterwards, and he was a teenager, he said he just got up, he didn't even pay attention to what happened, and and he kept on with his friends jumping off the bridge <laughs> uh, into the river that goes into Havana. But uh, it was um, an absolutely uh, unbelievable experience. But uh, I have spoken with other people that have told me very, very similar experiences. So um, it's not like it doesn't happen. It, it does happen, but everybody stays quiet because who is going to believe them when they tell these stories? And also, as I recall, now I've done several interviews on airports, but Alberto seems to be a focal point for these airport manifestations, objects just materializing. Yes, he has a whole um, bureau uh, shelf and uh, when you open and close it, filled from top to bottom with these uh, airports. And his wife was able to tell me stories of, of most of them, how they appeared, where they appeared. Some of them, they were together in the living room watching TV, and all of a sudden, plop, you know, here's this uh, solid gold chain that appears <laughs> between them uh, and um, and rings. My goodness. Uh, one time he told me of a ring that was uh, – uh, all the other rings fitted him perfectly, his ring finger. This one was a little bit big. So he put it aside. He didn't put it in the, the shelf. So it was like a few weeks later, he goes, you know, to check the ring. He said, okay, I might as well put it with the other airports. And he tried it on. It was like, it fit perfectly. And he says, mm. like they resized it for him. So, uh, I mean, these are just unbelievable stories. And he's had everything. He's had near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, um, encounters with non-human intelligence. Most of them were human-looking uh, uh, beings. They were Asians. They were African-Americans. They were the Palladian types. Uh, um, they were uh, a being that looked like uh, Archangel Michael. There was another one uh, uh, that looked like Zeus. He says, well, what do you mean, Zeus? Well, he had a big, long beard. He had a white robe. He was seven feet tall, very muscular. He looked like Zeus. And he said, Alberto, you've been thinking about death lately. Let me show you what death is like. And gave him a near-death experience right in front of him in his couch. Um, brought him to another reality. Uh, taught him all these lessons and brought him back. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, he, both of us could be here a whole week telling you our personal stories. I know that psychologists have uh, examined people who are prone to paranormal experiences and suggest that uh, there are different psychological theories. They have thin boundaries, so they're more open. Or some people say they have a, a more volatile aspects of, of their brain, a volatile temporal lobe uh, that opens people up to such experiences. Do you think there's anything particular about Alberto or yourself that makes you prone to have these experiences while other people seem never to have them? Well, Jeffrey, I, I think you know by now, after interviewing so many of your guests, that uh, a lot of these initial paranormal experiences trigger a whole series of the diversity of paranormal experiences. Um, Near-death experience is a classic case. You have a near-death experience, all of a sudden you begin to see deceased people, which is very common. Um, you begin to have other paranormal experiences. Same thing with the UFO uh, phenomena, which we documented in our book, Beyond UFOs. You've seen a, a huge UFO, uh, and all of a sudden, after that experience, you begin to have all these paranormal experiences. In my case, um, before March of 2012, I had zero knowledge and zero interest in these topics. 
I thought the folks that spoke about these things were all crazy. And then um, I had an experience in my living room uh, where this energy being appeared and uh, my wife disappeared, dog disappeared, who we were going to be euthanizing later that afternoon. And the dog was returned totally healed. And it was after that experience that I had approximately four years of nonstop uh, paranormal experiences. Uh, Alberto is different because like many other individuals, they began to have their experiences at a very young age. Uh, his experience started when he was uh, about seven or eight years old in Cuba, where um, uh, what, what is called in Spanish, the sacred heart of Christ appeared to him in a holographic format. And zoomed and entered his body and he started quivering and shaking so it was like an orb a holographic orb but shaped in the heart of christ and he was not catholic he never went to church his family was not catholic at all so uh, after that experience then he began to have a lot of these uh, uh high strangeness experiences um uh, and many other academics in our organization described to me what triggered their initial experiences um many of them was hearing voices hearing a voice like uh, one is, uh, uh, you met him in some of several of our Zooms meeting. Uh, he's a professor of information sciences. This is a, a statistician, a, a number cruncher uh, in, in a university in Canada. As I'll mention just his first name, Raul. And he has two PhDs. And uh, he had been trying to have a, a, a child with his wife for many, many years. They had gone to numerous infertility clinics, infertility treatments. And so a friend of him invited him to um, a yoga uh, a session. And they were doing these deep breathing exercises, uh, uh, holotropic breathing, I guess is what it's called. And all of a sudden, um, he heard a voice that said, Raul, don't worry about your, vi your wife becoming pregnant. Within two weeks, she's going to tell you she's pregnant. Later on, when you do the sonogram, you'll find out it's a girl. And later on, your wife is going to approach you and give her uh, the name of your child. So the man freaked out, okay? He ran out of that place, you know? And like a couple of weeks later, the same, the scenario ensued. The wife told him uh, she's pregnant. They went to the sonogram. It's a girl. And then the wife, Raul, I've been thinking about her name if it was a girl. And he and gave him the name. So after that, he then went back to the yoga place with his friend who was taking these yoga classes. And then the voice came back, but now he wasn't scared anymore. He was prepared. And now almost on a daily basis, he communicates with, with this uh, non-physical uh, intelligence, which is, has taught him, you know, tons of, uh, of uh, mainly spiritual information. And, and so that's just one story. And in our organization, you, you've met, uh, you know, uh, via these Zoom calls, many of these individuals, I would say an additional four have had very similar experiences. And some of them have gone public um, with um, how these experiences started. Uh, I believe uh, one is Jeffrey Kripal and another one is Gary Schwartz. These are, you know, <laughs> very well-known PhD academics, tenured professors at major institutions. So these things are very common, but individuals just don't talk about it. When you think of the mind of God, as you put it, we're really talking about what many people would call the supernatural. And of course, in philosophy... There's a school of thought very dominant in American universities called naturalism. And, and that school of thought maintains anything that's supernatural or, or that purports to be supernatural simply doesn't exist. Therefore, we can ignore it com completely. 
On the other hand, you've got what I might call the dark side of the supernatural. I mean, the experiences you've recounted so far have been, one might say, of an angelic nature. But many people report experiences of of this sort that are not as helpful. Well, in um, Volume 3 and 4 of our four-volume book series uh, of A Greater Reality, these are articles that are written by major experiencers of the contact modalities. And what we discovered in our book Beyond UFOs was that, first of all, these experiences were primarily uh, psyche, paranormal type of experiences, not necessarily physical they might have seen a physical, perceived physical UFO. They might have had encounters with uh, with perceived physical beings. But 95% of the experiences were put in that paranormal box. Um, and, um, and, and again, 95% of these individuals, in the long run, viewed their experiences as positive and not negative. Uh, initially, 37% viewed their experiences as negative just because of the what Dr. John Mack described, the ontological shock of the experience. But then um, over 40% had more than 20 uh, repeated experiences over many years. And these experiences were later perceived as as benevolent. The vast majority of them uh, viewed them as spiritual type Mm -hmm. of uh, experiences. Like uh, Alberto had these very, very physical experiences in the beginning, and he was scared of them. Later on, like I said before, these beings would appear and take him out of his body while he was fully awake. (laughs) Half the time was when he was on his sofa watching TV and bring him to other realities. And these were mainly spiritual lessons. And what what I concluded after um, my own experiences and talking to hundreds of individuals with major uh, contact modalities experiences, and I'll define that in a minute, was that um, we're within a uh, a greater reality within a virtual reality. It's the common terminology that some individuals are using, but it's also spiritual because when individuals have an NDE, a near-death experience, they're interacting like one out of every four cases with an intelligence that they perceive to be God. They're given a life review. They're shown all the good and the bad and, and in between of their life. Um, and they're also shown uh, of the future. A lot of people don't want to return. Most of them, they want to stay. And so they're shown what's going to happen in the future of why they need to come back and return. So it's like um, they're being downloaded with this uh, these Akashic records of information of the past and the present and, and the future. And so uh, Tom Campbell, uh, who you, you know, um, he wrote a, a paper for our uh, book. Uh, it's in volume one, which is a book that uh, describes his own personal experiences and how he concluded that we're living also inside a spiritual and virtual reality, um, even though he doesn't focus on the spiritual aspect as much, uh, but he does touch upon the topic of love. And that's a topic that NDE experiencers and NDE researchers say is the most important lesson of an NDE. Uh, once they go up there, they feel this universal love that's thousands of t- times greater than the love your mother you would have of your mother. And then also when they're returned, they're told, look, it's not important how much money you have, what religion you are, how famous you are. What's most important is that you need to learn how to love. 
Okay. So Tom Campbell and his out of body experiences learned that lesson. He was given that lesson of the importance of love and also of a greater mind of, uh, the mind of God that exists. So it's not just virtual. It's also a spiritual component of it. So what, what I did is, um, in uh, the mind of God, uh, it's a, a, a separate book, but it's actually the introduction to the four volume book series. It's an introduction to the four volume book series. And what I tried to lay out um, is several themes. Okay. Uh, first of all, I uh, started with a quote of Edgar Mitchell. And, um, Edgar Mitchell, you, you, you've, I'm, I know that you've met because you, we've spoken about it, uh, in the past. He was just an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in 1974, you know that he published, uh, a book titled Psychic Exploration, which was basically all of the contact modalities except near death experiences because it hadn't been n- made known via Raymond Moody's book. It was a year later that Raymond Moody published his book in 75. And he also, in that uh, the 1974 book, Psychic Explorations, he specifically mentioned UFOs is a real phenomenon, but there's zero academic research on it. That's why we're not discussing it in this book. Hmm. So Edgar was light years ahead of, of so many other people. And uh, uh, just for the audience members, uh, uh, I believe he's he's much more important, not so much as being Apollo 14 astronaut, the sixth man to walk on the moon, and w- pretty much uh, uh, the major uh, astronaut to talk about UFOs. I, I think he's much more important because of his work on consciousness and his work with the Institute of Noetic Sciences is founding it. So um, I started off with a quote of Edgar, and the quote basically, uh, if I could paraphrase it, states that um, we as a human species are on the brink of extinction because we are destroying our planet uh, for many reasons. And then um, in the be- in the very beginning, I write um, that three out of the four major contact modalities, and let me define it very briefly at this point, the contact modalities is a, a term that I coined in 2013 because I had an out-of-body experience while I was driving my car. I think I discussed that in the first interview. Mm-hmm. And there uh, I was shown all of the contact modalities, that they're all one phenomenon. They're not separate and distinct. <laughs> and then um, it was immediately after that that um, I received an email from Mary Rodwell, and we discussed the one thirty in the morning. Uh, later that day at 9.30 in the morning, the very next day, I received a phone call from Dr. Rudy Shields, who is an emeritus professor of astrophysics, at Harvard, okay? I had no idea who this man was. So he's calling me up because Mary sent him an email about my experiences. And then he encouraged me to um, to go visit Edgar Mitchell. He said that he's going to be calling Edgar. And so he gave me his telephone number. So four hours later, I called Edgar and he invited me to his house. And I was there the entire day. And that's where the free foundation got started in mm-hmm. Edgar's home. And so I was at Edgar's home literally 50 hours after that out-of-body experience. So you probably heard these stories over and over again of these uh, experiences that have been orchestrated experiences. These are not, synchronicity is not not an appropriate term for it. These are like orchestrated events. And I've had a series of these types of experiences. Um, Here we are, the four co-founders of what came to be known as the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. Uh, was introduced to me, you know, the other three members within, you know, 50 hours. So 
Um, but anyway, getting back to Edgar's quote, um, the contact modalities are all the different ways that humans are piercing the veil of our reality and having contact uh, via diverse um, paranormal phenomenon with uh, perceived non-human intelligence. And so um, these, this organization that we have formed, the CSRI, um, uh, many uh, are authors to our books, they all share two um, hypotheses. One is that consciousness is, is fundamental, that mind and consciousness um, are fundamental, non-local, and that uh, that ultimately all of them are grounded in um, uh, in a non-physical reality, a manifestation of consciousness and not our physical reality. So that's the first one. The second is while all of them have diverse approaches to it, all of them have a belief, a hypothesis, that all of these paranormal experiences are interrelated. And, and why? Because all of them also believe that consciousness is fundamental. Um, and I've interviewed for our documentary, uh, you, um, you knew that we've been filming this documentary for over five years, almost everyone that has uh, uh, written a chapter for our book, Eben Alexander, Raymond Moody, Jeffrey Long, um, Rudy Shields, John Klimo, all of these individuals that are participating with, with this group. And they all believe the same thing. Now, they all fully don't understand how it's all interrelated, you know, the mechanisms, the details of it, but they share that main hypothesis. So what I argued in the beginning of The Mind of God, I said three out of the four major contact modalities, which I argue are um, the topic of UFOs, near-death experiences, and out-of-body experiences. They all began within five years of each other uh, to be disseminated on a worldwide basis. The topic of UFOs really got explored on a worldwide basis in numerous languages when Star Trek got syndicated in 1970. Um, after that got syndicated, everyone knew about aliens, beings from other planets, from other dimensions, other realities. Before, it was a small niche that studied ufology that were interested in that topic. Now, all over the world, eventually UFOs and ETs and aliens and beings from other dimensions, other realities became a household name. And there are literally hundreds of movies, <laughs> very popular movies that have been made about that. The near-death experiences, as you know, was when Raymond Moody published uh, his book, uh, Life After Life, uh, in 1975. International New York Times bestseller, translated to all the major languages, circulated all over the world. Now you can go to China, India, whatever, and most people know what an NDE is. Same thing with the out-of-body experience that, that began with Robert Monroe's book. Um, higher Journeys in 1972, also New York Times bestseller, translated to multiple languages. So all around, not as well known as NDEs, but still, it's a common household term that people all over the world understand now. So so then you ask yourself, the, the other fourth major one was Ghosts and Spirits, but that's been talked about since the Upanishads, you know, Um uh, historically, all traditions and, and, and embrace that concept. So then I said to myself, is this a coincidence that even before the internet began, you had three out of the four major contact modalities where it began to circulate all around the world within five years of each other? Okay. So I concluded, no, this is not an, a coincidence. This is another of these orchestrated events by the mind of God. And then I said, well, why? Why now? Well, like Edgar Mitchell said, we've reached the point of, of self-extinction. 
through nuclear proliferation, through environmental catastrophes, which are going to take place, through um, numerous other uh, 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 topics that I talk about in my book. And then uh, I, I state that um, uh, uh, I go into these different topics of the, the greater reality in terms of uh, the primacy of consciousness. There's a whole section on that. There's a whole section on non-locality, and that's a tribute to, to Edgar Mitchell um, and his theories and uh, Larry Darcy. Um, and then um, uh, each, uh, depending on the section, but some of them have three or four articles. Some of them, like the UFO topic, have 11 articles and um, uh, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, entheogenic research, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I try to do is to say that, look, all of these phenomena have commonalities. And then in another section, I go over 11 commonalities that they all share. Uh, like, for example, let me just give you an example. All of them, what they have in common is that all of them involve a manipulation of space-time. Okay. Um, obviously, with near-death experiences, by definition, manipulation of space-time. OBEs, manipulation of space-time. With the UFO phenomenon, we were able to describe that 50% of these individuals were brought to other realities. Again, manipulative space-time. It's one half of these people, like like I was, like Alberto was, and because it's they begin to have all these other paranormal experiences intertwined with seeing UFOs and seeing these uh, perceived physical beings. And um, um, same thing with uh, uh, hallucinogens, okay? Uh, you could also describe that as a manipulation of space-time. Um, and so uh, another thing is communication. If communication takes place, it's telepathic. And in addition, it's in one's native language. If you had your experience in France, you're getting that information in French, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And so I go through all these commonalities, uh, again, to try to establish um, – the, the patterns, the similarities of why it needs to be studied as one phenomenon, and that all of them are consciousness-based. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the problem with that, Jeffrey, as you well know, is that in many of these disciplines, there has been limited academic research. And even then, the limited ac academic research has been focused very narrowly to certain parameters. Um, it hasn't been really focused on, on what we talked about, these experiencers that are having uh, cold cornucopia of, uh, of these paranormal experiences. So thus the need to engage in further academic research of how they're all interrelated. Mm -hmm. And then what I talk about is I talk about the topic of consciousness, how that topic has a whole history within quantum physics. Uh, describing three or four Nobel Prize winners in physics held the notion that consciousness is fundamental. And then I had um, these uh, Nobel Prize winners in physiology and in neuroscience uh, there's a whole bunch of them, as and you know uh, most of these names, the same thing, that consciousness is fundamental. And then I go into the historical um, history of idealism from, you know, the Upanishads to um, uh, uh, the shamanic tradition, even earlier than that, from the Greek and Roman tradition, the Egyptian tradition, et cetera, et cetera, up, up to the modern time of how this concept of the one mind has developed over time. Uh, this is not a new concept that Bernardo Castro invented, you know. <laughs> this has been talked about, you know, endlessly since the dawn of mankind. And then um, towards the very end, I talk about reincarnation mm. because uh, that gets back to some of the topics that we talked about are the commonalities that all of them have a component of spirituality. All of them. All of the contact modalities. Um, even the UFO phenomenon. Um, 
the reason why our findings pretty much contradict what is circulating in ufology is because no one has ever done a comprehensive academic statistical research study on the UFO contact phenomenon. Um, you know, Kenneth Ring in his book, The Omega Project, did a very small sample comparing 85 NDE experiencers with 85 uh, UFO contact experiences, mainly abductees. But again, it was very uh, narrowly focused. That only had a few people. Our research study had 4,300 people. And so the spirituality aspect of it was just exploded, uh, that people determined themselves that this is really the most important lesson that they learned from this phenomenon, uh, that they were eternal spiritual beings. Like Whitley Strieber is a classic case. <laughs> uh, uh, he started off writing about uh, these horrible alien abduction phenomenon, and now he's, you know, praying to these uh, modern angels. He calls them visitors because they have given him spirituality. They have allowed him to talk, communicate with his deceased wife. Um, and so he's like now Mr. Love and Light. But Whitley's just an example of the overwhelming majority of these UFO contact experiencers over time. So the way I view all of these contact modalities is that these are all spiritual awakenings, mm -hmm. that these are all different um, uh, formats of the mind of God of awakening you. And they're all uniquely tailored to the individual, okay? Mm -hmm. If you're having an NDE, there, as you know, there's certain commonalities to the NDE, but every NDE is different from the other, okay? It's specifically tailored to that person, just like the UFO contact experience is specifically tailored to that person. When you go out of your body and, um, uh, and you have astral travel experiences, Again, they're all very unique, specifically tailored to that person. So the way I interpret it is that humans are being selected uh, one at a time to have these spiritual awakenings. Uh, and as a matter of fact, um, certain researchers call them spiritually transformative experiences. Okay. And, but I believe it's, it's, that's just one component of it, the, the spiritual transformation aspect of it. Um, and so what I try to do in this book, also, uh, The Mind of God, is I also presented these um, these charts. I don't know if you remember the, the charts, uh, looking through them. Uh, the, the charts, uh, one of them talk about um, the travel of human consciousness up these astral planes. Mm. Okay? And also the travel of non-human intelligence. Because all of a sudden, you're, two days after you bury your Aunt Sally, Aunt Sally appears to you in a very physical form, in her favorite Sunday dress, okay? Um, similar to all these beings. Most of the, uh, what we documented in Beyond UFOs, that individuals were seeing literally tens of thousands of different types of beings. And then, then you say to yourself, are there tens of thousands of physical beings coming from tens of thousands of physical planets interacting with us most of the time for like less than 30 seconds, okay? Rarely do you have an experience that's more than a minute, okay? Rarely. And and um, so then you say to yourself, maybe it's a little bit more complicated than a physical being coming from a physical planet. And so um, Aunt Sally is just one of these manifestations. Uh, that's appearing to you two days after she died. Uh, all the beings that Alberto is interacting with, they were all completely different. Um, and, and so then you, you, you could say to yourself, um, uh, um, um, that these are, uh, lessons that are being taught us. Uh, 
Um, one of the lessons that they taught Alberto, which is one out of every four people that had the UFO contact experience, mentioned that they were taught lessons about reincarnation. Okay, uh, Alberto had a very direct lesson about reincarnation. This um, um, very heavy set Asian man appeared to him in in an a, uh, in a warlord uh, uh, dress, uh, like you would see in these paintings. And, uh, uh, like, like Star Trek materialized right in front of him and communicated to Alberto in Spanish, which is his native language, Spanish, even though he's bilingual. And he said, my name is so and so. And your name is so and so. You were my adopted son in a past life. Okay. We had, uh, we fought many battles together. You had, uh, 22 kills, you know, and told them all about his life and his life. And he said, if you go to a good library, You'll find my name and you'll find my name, you know, your name. And, and so, um, Alberto, after it, it finished, the being disappeared right in front of him. He says, that was a strange one. This is the first Asian looking being I've ever seen, right? And so the next day he had a sword, a big gigantic sword, uh, that appeared right in front of him. They took a Polaroid picture of it and you can't fake a Polaroid. And it was his wife that took the Polaroid and his wife told me of how it appeared, how it would, uh, um, all of a sudden be in the living room and then all of a sudden it's in the kitchen. And it only was there for one day. The next day was completely gone. Well, guess how many notches that sword had? 22 notches. Okay. <laughs> so after that, the next day, Alberto goes to the University of Miami library and he asked to talk to the Asian uh, librarian, the Asian collection, and he gave them the, the names more or less how it was spelled. This woman knew how to speak Chinese and um, and found a couple of books that had the name of that warlord. So he began looking through it and boom, there was his adopted son, his name. Okay. So Alberto thinks, and I, I believe it as well, is that that was a lesson about reincarnation. Not necessarily that he literally was the adopted son. He could have been. Okay. But the lesson there was about reincarnation. And so what I did is I, that last chapter, I talk about reincarnation uh, through, um, uh, um, through the, the ancient Vedic tradition, through uh, Greece, uh, uh, the Roman tradition, the Jewish uh, Kabbalah tradition. I, I, I heard that very powerful interview you had uh, where you spoke about your uncle and, and his Kabbalist tradition. Well, as you know, they have a whole tradition of belief in reincarnation, mm -hmm. you know, a um, huge tradition, tradition in it. And then I go into the work of Ian Stevenson and, and Bill Tucker. Jim Tucker. Uh, Jim Tucker, yeah, sorry about that, Jim Tucker, and and so um, and so the, and then I write uh, just a, the conclusion is just a you know a conclusion mm -hmm. putting it all together. So this is the conclusion to our book that 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 of this topic that consciousness is fundamental and not our physical reality. Mm -hmm. Number one, and that all of what we perceive as the paranormal, well, internally we call the contact modalities, that they're all somehow interrelated. Now, in terms of the mechanisms and the specifics, what, what I tried to uh, present was that uh, the concept of the mind of God. You know, that is a solution to this problem of how they're all interrelated. And it's a concept that, you know, Michael Grosso, who's one of the co-editors of our uh, group, uh, professor of philosophy for over 40 years. He worked with the, um, the folks at the University of Virginia for many years. He was actually one of the co-editors for two of their volumes. And it was The Irreducible Mind was one of the books that um, 
Dr. Grosso was a co-editor of, and mm-hmm. uh, and and Consciousness Unbound or Beyond Physicalism were a couple mm-hmm. of the, the other books. These yeah. are unbelievable books, very similar to what what we did, except our focus was more on the the, the paranormal aspect of it, uh, to, as well as the consciousness aspect. Of it. Um, Jeffrey Long, one of the world's leading researchers on near-death experiences. Um, and what's notable about Jeffrey is that he's one of the few individuals that has a long-term longitudinal uh, statistical data on NDEs. And um, and he was also one of the co-editors of our book. The same thing. Is consciousness primary? Of course it is, you know? Uh, Raymond Moody, Raymond Moody says, I know nothing but consciousness, you know? And so... Um, you have all these individuals that are researchers of the contact modalities. They're saying the same thing. Um, and so my book is actually an introduction to these two themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, I'm not a, a researcher. I'm, I'm not a, 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 an academic, but I, I did go to Berkeley for a PhD. So I do have an academic background. You refer in the subtitle of your book, The Mind of God, to the idea of virtual reality. Now, many people would think virtual reality, it has something to do with the Oculus putting on uh, uh, this headpiece and seeing things in three dimensions that don't exist in our normal 3D reality. It's as if we're in a video game. Uh, people use that as the metaphor for virtual reality. How do you see it? Well, that's the problem with that terminology. Uh, the the problem we have is the terminology. How are you going to define this thing? And um, virtual reality is commonly used uh, from a computer science uh, component of it, that you're inside a, a, a video game. And the Matrix even, you know, further defined that, mm-hmm. the movie The Matrix, The Matrix yeah. series. Um, the way I introduced it in my book is if, uh, I said, if you could think of a Russian doll, Okay. Um, in a Russian doll, you have this little tiny doll and you could fit it inside another doll. Both of those two dolls, you could fit inside a third doll, et cetera, et cetera. Before you know it, this is big, fat Russian doll and you have eight other dolls inside of it. And so the way I personally view it is through the hierarchies of the contact modalities. Um, uh, for example, uh, I um, define the terms out-of-body experiences and astral travel experiences differently. They're usually associated as one integrated phenomenon. Um, same thing with like clairvoyance is part of that genre of your consciousness going to another location you're seeing, you know. Um, but w- the way I um, sort of redefined the term is that out-of-body experiences I'm viewing as your consciousness is outside of your 4D reality but you're still interacting with your 4D reality. You're seeing your body underneath you. You go into your daughter's bedroom next door. You're going to see your aunt, which lives uh, two blocks away. <laughs> um, uh, you might be going to the other side of the, out of the moon, like um, uh, one of the pioneers of remote viewing. I forgot, Ingo Swan. Okay, but the, the point is that you're still interacting with your physical reality. Okay, now, and I call that that reality there the five D reality, just to give it a name. Okay of where these physical out-of-body experiences occur, where you're dealing with the physical reality. Now, a lot of individuals um, these uh, uh, have what is called astral travel experiences. They're piercing that 5D reality of an out-of-body experiences, and now 
it's almost similar like an NDE. It's almost an infinite um, uh, number of realities that they're interacting with, mm-hmm. almost an infinite number of higher forms of intelligences that they're interacting with. Many times, the overwhelming majority of the time, they're good, you know, benevolent. Other times, they're negative experiences. And so it's these major astral travel experiences that um, are really a very powerful um, uh, uh, researchers about the nature of our reality, the nature of consciousness. Very, very similar to an NDE in the sense that you go up there and you're in the astral travel realms, which are the higher dimensional realms, and you can manifest things. Like I have a, a, a friend of mine who's a major astral travel experience. His name is Preston Dennett. Um, uh, you might want to interview him later on. He began his first paranormal experience with seeing his deceased mother in front of him. Within two weeks, he found out about UFOs. His brother uh, has seen UFOs. He later on joins MUFON, researches these UFO cases, begins to see UFOs himself, okay, and begins to see beings. Uh, again, the, the triggering aspect that we spoke about earlier, okay, mm-hmm. he was triggered via the uh, seeing his dead mother right in front of him, okay? And then all of a sudden, he learns about OBEs. He uh, purchases the Robert Monroe tapes, you know, the binary beats. Mm -hmm. And like after months of trying, boom, he pops out of his body, but he freaks out, (laughs) gets scared. He goes immediately back to his body, which is a very, very common phenomenon, as you know. But then after numerous trial and error, uh, he wants to have an, uh, an astral travel experience. He finally pops out. And so he pops out back and forth. And so once he's learned to control the astral travel aspect of it, uh, first thing he does, he yells out, Mama! And guess what appears? What manifests itself? His mother. Okay? So all of these experiences, also the contact moralize, involve this aspect of manifesting uh, a reality or an experience, just like a near-death experience. Okay? Mm-hmm. And and so um, so... The way I perceive it, the way I define it, is via these hierarchies of realities. And then if the human consciousness goes up, these hierarchies, they go past the 5D reality of the out-of-body experiences. They go past the the higher astral realms where these astral travel experiences occur. And then they continue to go up and they go back to the mind of God, where their, their consciousness is birthed. You know, mm-hmm. and and their consciousness gets reincarnated, and so that's where the NDE takes place. But um, certain individuals, not the vast majority, they describe how their individuated units of consciousness, and that's the term that Tom Campbell uses, um, all of a sudden gets uploaded to like a central computer database. Okay, and and then what remains is just pure consciousness, pure consciousness is thought, and they're interacting, like the way you describe it, is like a pod, like a school of fish, you know, where they're all thinking exactly the same, the communication is instantaneous, it's telepathic, but they don't have any physicality to them, they don't have individual memories of who they were, okay, and then eventually uh, they hear like a voice, you need to go back, you know, and and then all of a sudden they begin slowly reverting back. Um, and the memory starts slowly coming back. And then um, Dr. Melinda Greer, I talk about her. She's a retired medical doctor. She never told anyone of these experiences. Uh, and, and she told my, you know, her story to myself when we interviewed her. And um, she talked about that experience, how Dr. Melinda Greer, the essence of that consciousness was uploaded 
to like um, a depository, <laughs> repository, which uh, some people might call the Akashic Records, whatever it was. So that's how I describe uh, that human consciousness can travel up this hierarchy, but also non-human intelligence can travel down as well and can travel up. And so um, I put uh, the topic of UFO uh, beings with a question mark, maybe they're in this 5D reality mm. where the out-of-body experiences occur because people perceive them as very, very physical. People are interacting with them. People are being, the vast majority are taking astrally to another realm that people perceive as a UFO ship, okay? Now, we there's still questions associated with that. What really is going on? So that's why I put it a question mark. Is this... Um, one of these bridges between physical and non-physical, and I put it in the in that 5D uh, category. Now, other individuals, as you know, they'll call it a quantum hologram. Um, Jude Curvin, Edgar Mitchell, they use that term to describe consciousness uh, via a holographic uh, 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 terminologies. Uh, other people define it in more esoteric terms like cosmic consciousness, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there's different ways of interpreting it because we're still totally clueless as to <laughs> what, are, what are the dynamics. But for me, I use the experiencers of the contact modalities and the journeys they have through these uh, diverse astral realms, which I uh, highlighted as a Russian doll, and then uh, going up to the mind of God. Um, and, and then uh, going back when they said, look, you got to go back, you know, or people that do astral travel experiences, they, you know, describe it as, okay, they, they leave the astral travel realm and all of a sudden they're looking at their body underneath them. So now they're dealing with the physical aspect of the 5D realm, of the out-of-body realm. And then boom, you know, they go back into their body. So it's like a transition going up and a transition going down. So that's the way I'm able to uh, to illustrate it for others to try to, well, that's a very articulate explanation, Ray. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, let me go back to your story about Whitley Strieber and how, as the author of the book Communion, which was a bestseller, he, he suggests that the visitors who came to him included a, a deep spiritual experience for which he's been grateful uh, throughout his life. And yet, that experience originally included, as he describes it, an anal probe. And the anal probe was so detrimental to his physical well-being that to this day, decades later, he still has to use special ointments because, because it, it damaged his anal tissues. So how does that fit into the idea of the mind of God? Well, as I said before, the UFO contact phenomenon fits a special niche, okay? Mm. As uh, J. Allen Hynek, you know, was confused by it. Jacques Vallée was confused uh, by it. It's, it's both psyche and physical, okay? And then how do you merge this concept of psyche and physical? Uh, Dr. Kripal um, speaks at length about dual aspect monism, you know, how mm. when our consciousness gets rebirthed into this physical reality, uh, it splits into two, the, the physical aspect of consciousness and the psyche aspect of it. So, you know, what I was alluding to in my book uh, is that the UFO con con uh, contact phenomenon might be this bridge that we certainly don't understand, okay? That this intelligence almost certainly 
is is not physical based that it comes from this multi-dimensional reality but it could be have a physicalist aspect to it um that whatever this intelligence is also can manifest itself in a physical form and and engage with us in a very physical form like one experience that uh, I always forget about it. Okay, uh, I was at uh, in Las Vegas at a, my my very first uh, my second UFO conference, and so I went with a friend of mine from Peru, a major contact experiencer. Okay, he started calling down UFOs uh, at the time of Sixth Pass in 1974, uh, even before Sixth Pass, because it was his his uncle had also studied the uh, the silver mind le- learning method. Mm-hmm. began doing automatic writing, and then all of a sudden go to this Chilka Desert, this location, and we will be there Sunday at 12 midnight, you know? And so uh, the second time the, his uncle heard that, he went out there and he saw his very first UFO. That was 74, even before Six of Paz. So this man has had a long, lengthy history of these types of uh, engagements. And then physically, they would also appear to him as well. His first name is Giorgio. So anyway, we went together. He was also from Miami to that UFO conference. And so uh, one night we were getting dressed. Uh, we were putting our pajamas and he goes, Ray, they're here, you know. And, and I was so tired. I said, Giorgio, tell him I said hello. Okay. <laughs> so the next morning, I woke up with a perfect equilateral triangle right here in my um the top of my hand, okay? Ruby red, dark. Now, I was there showering. I, I really didn't understand the consequences of that, and it wouldn't come out. And though the whole day I was at this UFO conference, and if you've ever been to to those, it's like half the people are are experiencers. And I didn't tell anyone. It was only the second day, and by then, half of it had disappeared. And then um, I was at this session where... Uh, uh, contactees go to in the morning to talk about their experiences. And this woman, Yvonne Smith, said, has anyone had any UFO contact here? You know, And so nobody raised their hand. And so I sheepishly uh, said, you know, raised my hand. And I said, well, Georgia was a witness to all of this. He saw it all. And I said, and now it's like faded halfway, but you could still see it. You know, it was uh, now it's like uh, light pink, but you could still see the perfect equilateral triangle. So there is a physical manifestation to these things. Um, and for everybody, it's all differently, uh, mm-hmm. a different aspect of the physical manifestations. Um, uh, other people, uh, very common is they, they see three triangles, like, uh, almost like an equilateral triangle, like that's carved out in their skin within three or four days. It's all perfectly healed. Um, so in terms of the UFO conference, I'm as befuddled as Jacques Vallée. All, all I can conclude is that this phenomenon is, a consciousness-based psyche phenomenon, but the quote-unquote beings that we're interacting with might be these multi-dimensional, you know, hybrids that interact between uh, the, these two realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, hypothesis that many individuals have, but at this point, we really don't know. Well, you know what, Ray? Since you bring up the fact of a, a red equilateral triangle forming on your hand, I don't know if it's visible. Here, I'll hold this up to the camera. There's one on my hand right now. Uh, so I guess we belong to the same club. <laughs> no, it's it's um, it's uh, the, uh, these cases that you, for example, I was on a um, 
a Zoom call with an individual that had gone to Peru to, you know, call down UFOs and, and his cycle, you know, uh, mm-hmm. spiritual journey. A lot of yeah. people go to Peru, right, to the to the mountains. And so while he was up there, the next day he woke up. I was telling him that story, and the man was freaking out because I've never heard of anyone else that had the same exact thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I and I and, he, and I said, "How long did it last? Did it go away?" She said, "Yes." By the third day, it was completely gone. Mm-hmm. You know. And and so there are other individuals, uh, but what it is that a lot of people just don't talk about these things, um, you know, similar uh, uh, experiences. But uh, but basically, the w- with these two books, um, um, well, first of all, I want to tell folks that the first book that we did, the Beyond UFOs, the reason for that, okay, Edgar was not necessarily. Um, into the physical aspect of the UFO phenomenon. He knew through Waswell uh, the stories that he heard from a lot of people that were there. He's heard other stories from many other experiencers, but he was more interested in the consciousness-based aspect of the phenomenon. And when I first had my experiences, and uh, eventually they became UFO-related because I began to call down these, um, um, these mainly were light, apparitions, very huge, gigantic light apparitions. Mm -hmm. And so then I tried to research what had happened to me, and I couldn't find anything on it, especially academic literature on it. And so when that experience occurred with the out-of-body experience, I was put in contact with with Rudy and Edgar and Mary Rodwell, this researcher who had worked with experiences for over 40 years. Um, All of a sudden, on a was Saturday morning, uh, I left Edgar's house not knowing what I'm supposed to do. He said, look, uh, Rudy and I already spoke. We'll be your scientific advisors. We have this organization called Quantrack, which is um, filled with tons of PhD physicists. And they were working with Edgar for many years to uh, research the physics of zero-point energy. And Hal Putoff was one of the, the members of that group. And I don't know if Eric Davis was one of them as well, but it was all of these PhD physicists. Uh, um and so we can get them to help to help us to to what was your mission that you were given, okay? And so I was thinking in my head, this man is is, is a lunatic. He's crazy. What the hell is he talking about? And so um, uh, I realized later that you know he was as crazy as a fox. This man was a genius, you know, together with with Rudy Shields. But at that point, when I left his house, I had no idea. So that Saturday morning, like two two days later. Uh, I woke up and I had a whole outline of what needed to be done, mm-hmm. where I was totally clueless of it. And um, and what it was was that if all of these paranormal experiences are interrelated, okay, there's lots of information on near-death experiences. The whole aspect of ghosts and spirits have been talked about since the dawn of mankind. And with, you know, the uh, the Dr. James era in the early 1900s, there have been lots of publications about, you know, uh, channeling, mediumship, and ghosts and spirits, etc., and even hallucinogenic journeys with the whole mm-hmm. LSD um, phenomenon. In the 1950s, there were hundreds of peer-reviewed publications on LSD, and recently, over the last 20 years, tons on, on DMT, on psilocybin, etc., and then out-of-body experiences, even though there aren't a lot, I mean, uh, I think it was, was it Russell Targ? Did, uh, no, no. Um, you mean Charlie Tart. Charles, Charles Tart, correct. He did uh, publish several research studies on out-of-body experiences and mm-hmm. other individuals as well. So, But when it came to the UFO contact phenomenon, 
there was Zippo, except for Dr. Kenneth Ring's book, which was still very limited to certain aspects of it. And um, so what, what I said is, uh, in order to be able to compare apples to apples, orange to oranges to oranges, we need data on the UFO contact phenomenon, data that doesn't exist. And so um, little by little, Edgar began calling some folks. Rudy began calling some folks. So we had a whole bunch of academics that became involved. And then Mary Rodwell contacted people that had researched the phenomenon, people like Leo Sprinkle, um, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, retired professor of psychology. As far as I know, he was the first academic to write an article about UFO contact experiences. He, he told me that he wrote that in, in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo since has since passed away and he died. I think it was maybe 95 years old when he died. But, um, uh, um, and so, uh, people like Kathleen Martin, uh, she's another one like Whitney Strieber. Uh, she started off writing the book Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill, you know, alien abduction horror. Okay. And then she just recently published a book titled From Alien Abduction to Spiritual Transformation. <laughs> okay. Just like Whitley Strieber, both of them are examples of the people that have had these experiences. They start off in a, a, a fearful mindset, and towards the end, it's all about spirituality. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we had all this large group, and then for the f- uh, first nine months, we basically spent, uh, together with John Klimo, he became um, one of the co-directors of the research committee. And um, as, as you you know, John Klimo, he taught... Uh, uh, as a professor of psychology for over 40 years, and he actually taught research methodology uh, as well. And so um, uh, we spent nine months fine-tuning the methodology, and we came up with two quantitative questionnaires and one qualitative questionnaire, which are just huge monstrosities. Uh, the qualitative questionnaire had 70 open-ended questions, and people were complaining of just how long it took all these uh, <laughs> these surveys. But um, what we concluded from that uh, totally uh, um, uh, was the antithesis of what is circulating in materialist ufology. And we won't go into those details because I talk about that in, in my first interview. Mm-hmm. And so now that we had that data about the UFO contact phenomenon, um, you were part of this group that met several times on Zoom, this very large group of mainly PhD academics. Um, um, you've interviewed, I think, all of them <laughs> uh, over over the years. And so what I was trying to uh, address before the COVID hit was that we need to move forward with some type of a comprehensive academic research study of the experiencers of the contact modalities, because these individuals are not just having just near-death experiences. They're not just having just out-of-body experiences. They're not just having UFO contact experiences or astral travel experiences, et cetera, et cetera. They're having the whole cornucopia of experiences. So we really need to study it as an integrated phenomenon. And so what this book was is, is the introduction to hopefully a comprehensive academic research study like we did with the Free Foundation, but of the relationship between consciousness and the unified contact modalities. So this is like in uh, like a primer, basically. Well, Ray Hernandez, you're a organizer, a synthesizer, a magnet for people who are often lost and abandoned and unsure of uh, where to go with their unusual experiences. I salute you. I'm delighted to be able to bring you back once again to the New Thinking Aloud audience. 
the work that you're doing with these enormous volumes is monumental. Uh, I expect that it's going to have a big impact, wider than we can see right now, and in particular in the world of academia. Just the weight of what you're doing alone is, is quite substantial. So I want to thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart for being with me today. Well, Jeffrey, I want to thank you because you have been one of my mentors at a distance to educate me. Um, I'm sure you realize how important your work is. It really is foundational for individuals to get educated on the complex nature of our reality, particularly in terms of the nature of consciousness, because you've approached it from so many different facets. Um, and you've been very open to all of these facets because they're all uh, interrelated. And so um, you, Edgar Mitchell, Rudy Shields, Dr. John Klimo, all have been my mentors. And, and I also want to thank you, Jeffrey, uh, for the, the importance of your work. And so um, uh, I have much gratitude to you. Well, it's always been a, a joy for me from beginning to end, Ray. So once again, thank you for being with me. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.